Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. And as you're opening your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2, we're going to take a break from examining the kings of Israel and Judah, and we're going to look at Elijah and Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. And just a reminder that these two are prophets of God. And I do want to share this with you, that Elijah is at the end of his earthly ministry. And Elijah is actually starting on his own on, in his earthly ministry. And so when we look at these two men, what are these men going to teach us? I believe that when we look at both these men, we're going to learn much from their lives and the lessons are going to be vital for us in the ministry. You know, we look at some that are going to be ending their ministries. You know what? This is Elijah, the end of the ministry. And then you have Elisha that's really beginning his ministry. He's flying on his own. And so what are we going to learn from both of these two? I believe this is what the Lord wants to speak to us about. And as we begin, let's go ahead and just go verse by verse. It's a long chapter, and for the essence of time, we're just going to go ahead and jump into the verses. Beginning in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elisha, or Elijah, I should say, went with Elisha from Gilgal. And then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So we have here, we have basically these two prophets. And we're given insight from the writer. The writer is telling us that the Lord is about to take Elijah into heaven. So Elijah is in his last days. He's in his final hours. Let's think about that, right? If we knew that we were in our last days, just like Elijah, right? He was given insight from the Lord. Elijah gave insight, or I should say the Lord gave insight to Elijah that his days were numbered. His hours were numbered. And so let's think about this, right? What is Elijah going to do? What would we do? You know, some things start going through our minds, right? What are we going to do in our last days? If God says, okay, you know what? Tomorrow, the following day, you got three more days to live. What are you going to do? What will we begin to think about? What would we begin to do? Maybe some of us would say, you know what? I want to travel. I want to go see, you know what? A land that I've never seen. I want to go on vacation or I want to go do, you know what? I want to go visit my family. I want to go... You know, I visit my kids, I want to go visit, you know what, somebody, or I want to go somewhere. All those are nice, but as Christians, think about this, is this the way we want to finish? Is this how we want to finish our lives? See, as we look at Elijah, this is a man of God. Remember, he was called a man of God. A man of God was another name for a prophet. Look at what he decides to do in his final days, his final hours. It tells us that he was with Elisha. Elijah was with Elisha. And before we get into this, I want to share this, that 
Elijah and Elisha were together for several years. It's estimated that they were together for six plus years, and this was according to the kings that were reigning during their lives. And Elisha was chosen as a successor for Elijah. God chose Elisha as a successor for Elijah. Look at what it says in 1 Kings 19.16. It says, Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshai, as king over Israel, and Elisha, he's talking to Elijah here, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholeh, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So God chose Elisha to replace Elijah, okay? And as we see this, right, as we look at this, let's look at when they met, because from there, Elijah goes to call out Elisha. And so as we jump down to verse 19 of 1 Kings 19, it tells us that Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12. Okay, so one thing that we know is that Elisha would have been a very wealthy man as he's plowing with oxen. He's actually 12 of them, so this tells him that he was a man of wealth. He had money. And then it tells us there, then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. So his mantle was a cloak. He throws his cloak on him. And then he tells him, or I should say Elijah, he leaves the oxen as soon as the, the cloak is thrown on him. You can imagine this, right? All of a sudden you have a cloak thrown at you, whether it hit his face or whatever. We don't know, but it's thrown at him, right? And he immediately, what does he do? He leaves the oxen. And he runs after Elijah. And he says, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what I have done to you. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So you can imagine after this, after he knew the calling of God upon his life, he decides to slaughter the oxen. And he decides to give it to the people. They ate, they had a feast, and then he leaves with Elijah. And he becomes his servant. And so that was the beginning of the ministry. And now years have passed on. And we see now that it's Elisha's turn to fly on his own. And so the question is, what would we do if we knew that we were leaving earth and going to heaven? What we see Elisha doing here. Because Elijah doesn't just say, Elijah just doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to relax, I'm going to take it easy. You know what he wants to do? He wants to finish strong. This man wants to continue working in the ministry. He just doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to relax, I'm going to go on vacation. No, he decides to continue to do what God has called him to do. Look at what he's telling him. He's saying there in verse 2, he's saying, you know what, Elisha, stay here. Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. I am doing what the Lord wants me to do. I'm not going to just relax. I'm not going to go on vacation. I know I'm going to be leaving this earth, but I am here to do what the Lord has called me to do. I'm here to serve him. See, the first lesson that we learn here from Elijah is that we are called to finish strong. 
Just like Paul, Paul speaking of his life in Acts 20, verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He wanted to finish the race with joy. He wanted to continue in the ministry that he received from the Lord. He just wasn't calling it quits. He wasn't saying, I'm going to go rest. I'm going to go visit my family. I'm not going to do this. You know what? I have a work to do. And as we see, as we see here from Paul, we see the fact that finishing strong in your calling from God is what God wants us to do. What is your calling? What is your ministry? See, we don't just quit and just say, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to die next week. And you know what? That's it. I'm gone. See you guys later. Not at all. See, we have many examples of men and women that knew that, you know what, that they were already going to be passing on. And in knowing this, they decided to finish strong. We have our pastor, right? Pastor Chuck Smith. Amazing man of God. What was he? He was teaching with an oxygen tank in his final days imagine that he didn't just say you know what i'm giving up you know what i'll let the other guys teach no you know what he wanted to finish strong you know what as i go to pastor raw on on tuesdays he's reminding us of this very one thing he's reminding us of how he wants to finish strong that you know what he's going to continue to serve the lord until he has no more breath See, these are the things that we learn. You know, I heard a, you know, I was at Pastor Rawls this past Tuesday, and they were showing us a, a teaching from, from Pastor Chuck. And he was talking about this very subject, and he mentioned this woman named Mrs. Hemsley. And you know what? Her husband had passed away. She was a widow. And so she didn't have much to do with her life anymore, right? She's thinking to herself, you know what? My husband's passed on. You know what? There's not much for me to do. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to school. So she went to Bible college. She graduated after four years. She was the oldest in her class. I mean, we're talking about already advanced in age. I'm not going to give you an age because I don't want anyone to feel bad here. But, but she was already older, And so, you know what? She had a calling to be a missionary. And so she went to her church, and she went to the church board. And, and when she went to the board, she asked them, she says, you know what? I want to be a missionary. Can you guys send me over to Lima, Peru? And they looked at her, and they said, you know what? You're too old. This is for the younger people. We send out younger missionaries. You're already too old. You're already, you know what? It's, we, can't, we can't do that to you. She felt the calling of God in her life. And so you know what she says? She says, okay, if you guys don't send me, then I'm sending myself. And you know what she did? She sold her house. She sold her house and she went to Lima, Peru. And she was preaching there in the corner. She got to Lima, Peru. She started preaching in the corner. And people would just look at her. They think she's crazy. Older woman, right? And, and then finally, 
as she's doing this. And, you know, she's going about it and going about it and nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, you know, one evening she's home and she gets a knock on her door. And it was these Indians there from Lima, Peru. Trying to remember what tribe they were. I can't remember the name. But they go to her house and they say, you know what, you've been talking about this Jesus. You've been talking about this Jesus that rose from the dead. Guess what? Our chief, he died. And if this Jesus is who he is, then he can raise our chief from the dead. What do you think she said? What do we do in that situation? You know what she does? She says, let's go pray. So she went. She went and she prayed over the priest, over the chief. And when she prayed over the chief, guess what the Lord did? He brought him back to life. And when he came back to life, he told all the Indians the God that she works, worships is a true God. And he made everyone believe and serve that God. And did you know that today, that the gospel is moving powerfully through these Indians? It's going all over South America. She wanted to finish strong. Don't ever get lazy. No matter how young, how old we are, let's do what God has called us to do. Let's serve the Lord. Let's desire to finish strong. As we look now at Elijah, and already we're running out of time. Let's, as we look at Elijah, you know, one thing that we see with Elijah is we see commitment. Look at what he says. Elijah says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Remember what Elijah told Elijah in 1 Kings 19.20? He says, I will follow you. He told him, I will follow you. Let me share this with you. There are so many people in the ministry that tell you one thing and do another. Have you met people like that? think we all have and I think because there's a lot of servants going around and you know I'm a pastor of a church I see this happening quite a bit they tell me one thing and they don't do it they abandon their commitments they abandon their ministries but not Elijah he says you know what I said I was going to do this one thing and I'm going to do it I commit it with my word and I'm going to follow through see the Bible tells us in various places, we are to commit to people. We are, when we commit to them, we follow through. Or let our yes be yes and our no, no. To our family, to our friends, to our jobs. But ultimately, remember this, your commitment first is unto the Lord. It's always unto the Lord first. When we look at Elisha, look at what he says. He says there, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. He reminded him that my commitment first is to the Lord 
and then it's to you. So the Lord has called me to be what? Your protege, to be your what? Your pupil, your student. And if God has called me to do that, then that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to follow you. See, our commitment must be to the Lord always. As he says in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 38, where he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God had called Elisha to replace Elijah one day. But until then, Elijah would serve Elijah fully committed. And during all of this, remember this, Elisha was being tested. His commitment, his heart was being tested. Are you going to continue to follow through or are you just going to quit? Are you going to commit or are you going to quit? Are you a quitter or are you a committer? As we go on to verse 3, it says, Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? The sons of the prophets at Bethel. I want to share who these men were. These men were dedicated men that were called to study the scriptures. And they were called to study the scriptures in order to teach the people. In other words, these men were mentored. These men were taught. It's like today. How many of you are in Bible college today? Many of you, right? Many of you at the church are in Bible college. You're in Bible schools. You're being taught. You're being mentored. That's what you have here with the sons of the prophet. And this is exactly what... Paul said, remember when he spoke to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what you have here with the sons of the prophets. And so these sons of the prophets, they came out to meet Elisha, and they tell Elisha, you know what the Lord is going to do with your master today? He's going to take them. And of course, Elijah says, you know what? Keep silent. Why would he tell him to keep silent? Because this was painful to him. See, it would be painful to anybody because your mentor, your teacher, they become like a father figure to you. And knowing that he was going to be moving on, it was going to be painful. And so in verse 4, it says, Then Elijah said to him, Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. So Elijah tells Elisha, stay at Bethel. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Remember, what we have here is with Elijah remaining faithful, doing what God has called him to do. And he tells him, stay at Bethel. I mean, he tells Elisha, you stay at Bethel, I'm going to Jericho. But Elisha says, I'm not going to leave you. And so they both go to Jericho. And, and then these other prophets, some more sons of the prophets, they go to Elisha and they tell him the same thing. They're reminding him that, guess what? Your master is leaving you. And so 
He says, keep silent again, knowing that his master is going to leave, Elijah. And then verse 6 says, so then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Imagine that. See, Elijah lets Elisha know, the Lord now has sent me to the Jordan and stay here. And so Elijah respond, Elisha responds that, again, as the Lord lives and your soul is, I will not leave you. See, we first learn from Elisha commitment, and that's a little different than faithfulness. See, because commitment is saying, I'm going to follow through with what I said but now when we talk about faithfulness, the second thing that we learn from Elisha is that he would be loyal, as he's saying here. You know what? How many times did Elijah tell him, leave me? But yet, Elisha, he never quit. He never said no. This man was loyal. This man was faithful. And as we look at this, right, remember that Elisha is being tested right now to see if he's really going to receive the calling that God has upon his life. See, because what happens is, is that when you are faithful to what God has given you, you will be rewarded. Remember that. Whenever you are faithful, you will receive rewards. And we have this, right? We all have heard this verse. The Lord speaking in Matthew 25, verse 21, where he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. See, even though this refers to the rewards in the millennial kingdom, this principle still applies to all. When you serve the Lord, if you are faithful over a few things, the Lord begins to raise you up and makes you ruler over many things. He gives you more responsibility because you've shown yourself faithful. See, there are many in the church that believe themselves to be, that believe that they should be leaders. They think that, you know what, that, you know what, I deserve to be a leader. But yet they don't show themselves faithful in the responsibilities that they have received. And then what happens is that they get upset when they're overlooked by God. But see, when you show yourself faithful, then God will raise you up. But you must show yourself faithful. And Elisha had to show himself faithful in order to become this next prophet. And God will use, I want you to know this, that Elisha has more recorded miracles than Elijah, so you know. And we'll talk about this later. Not today, but at another study. But as we keep moving on, verse 7 goes on to say, And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. So the prophets, they were following behind them, right? The 50, right? They're all looking, right? Because they've been told, guess what? Elijah, Elijah is going to be taken into heaven. So they're all following, right? Elijah and Elijah to see him taken into heaven. If you knew that somebody was going to be taken to heaven, right? That was going to be taken alive, what would you be doing? If you were 
also a man or woman of God. You follow them, right? You want to see them taken up. And so you have both of them. And as it says, they're right before the Jordan. And then in verse 8, look at what happens. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up. He's talking about his cloak and struck the water and it was divided this way and that. That the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Elijah takes off his cloak, his cloak and he rolls it up and he strikes the river and miraculously the river splits and they cross over. Does this miracle sound familiar? Like Moses and Joshua. And what's amazing about this is that, see, God does two miracles, right? One is he splits the land, and the other is what? He dries the ground. He splits the waters, I should say. He splits the river. And when he splits the river, we know it's been soaked. But in order to cross, what does he do? He needs to dry the ground. And that's what he does. These were miracles of God. Verse 9 goes on to say, And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, Ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elijah said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Elijah has shown himself faithful. He's been with Elijah for years. We saw his commitment. We saw his faithfulness. And so as hard as Elijah tried to persuade him not to be committed and faithful, this man persevered. Remember that. He shows us perseverance. That no matter how difficult the obstacles are, I'm going I'm to continue to move on. And did you know that the only way for us to learn perseverance is allowing our Faith to teach us perseverance. God wants to teach you perseverance. He wants us not to be quitters. It's so easy to be quitters, right? It's so easy to say, you know what? This is so hard. I can't take it. It's too difficult. Being a Christian, it's hard. People don't like me. My family doesn't like me. My people at work don't like me. They make fun of me. The devil's always after me. I can't take this anymore, right? We can easily say these things. But there's a great prize at the end. And that's what we look forward to. That's the hope that we have. And so back to the event, Elijah asked Elijah, what do you want from me before I am taken away? And so Elijah responds, a double portion of your spirit be upon you me let me share this with you many people have said oh this is a double portion of god's holy spirit i want you to know that that is not the case when you look here the word spirit is not capitalized it continues to remain as a lowercase s he's asking for a double portion of your spirit be upon me see none of us can receive a double portion of the holy spirit either you have them or you don't right? Either he fills you or he doesn't. See, there are no portions of the Holy Spirit to give us. He's not a thing. He's not an object. He's a person. So either you have him or you don't. So what does Elijah mean by this? 
There are several views on this, but I'm going, to te- I'm going to share with you the one I believe to be accurate. See, Elijah was like a father figure to Elisha. When you look at a father figure, and when you look at the Old Testament, the right of a firstborn son was to receive a double portion. See, you were to receive twice the gift. And let me prove this to you. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, it says, But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as a firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. The double portion. The right of the firstborn is to receive a double portion. When you look at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, it tells us there that Elijah calls Elijah my father, my father. So basically, he wants to receive what he deserves, what was rightfully his. And what was rightfully his was to replace Elijah as the prophet of God. That's what he's saying. Give me what I deserve. And that was to replace you as the prophet of of God. As we keep reading on, verse 10 goes on to say, so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So Elijah says, you know what? You ask a hard thing. Because see, this isn't really for Elijah to give. But what he tells them, he says, if the Lord allows you to see me depart from this earth, then you will receive what is rightfully yours. And if not, then you won't. And God honored that, right? As we're going to keep reading in verse 11, it says, And it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind in heaven. You could imagine, right? Can you imagine how amazing this is? A chariot of fire. Not only was it a chariot of fire, but it was also, the chariot also had horses of fire. It's just not a chariot of fire. It is also horses of fire. And all of a sudden, the chariot of fire with the horses of fire They separate both Elijah and Elijah. See, this was very appropriate for Elijah, right? Why? Because Elijah was what? A prophet of fire. Remember, didn't he call down fire from heaven when challenging the prophets of Baal? And not only this, but he also called fire from heaven when the soldiers came to arrest him. And he did it twice. And let me remind you, the chariot that you see here was a symbol of power. And so what happens? The whirlwind comes and takes him to heaven in the chariot. And what's amazing about this is that Elijah was taken alive. He was taken alive. Who else was taken alive to heaven? Enoch, right? Did you know that there are only two men, two people in the Bible that have been taken alive to heaven? And of course, we know that both of these are A picture of the saints, right? A picture of us when the Lord comes and takes his church. Some of us are going to be alive during this time. We're going to be raptured. And this is a picture that that God can take us alive into heaven, as he did with Elijah 
and Enoch. But what lessons can we learn with Elijah? When we look at Enoch, right, I want to share this with you. It tells us that in Genesis 5.22 that Enoch walked with God and God took him. And then in Hebrews 11.15, it tells us that Enoch pleased God. This is why he took him. But when we look at Elijah, we're not really given the reasons why Elijah was taken. But I do want to share this with you. When we look at Elijah, this man was just like Enoch. Did you know that when we look at Elijah, this man was always talking to God. God was always instructing him as to what he needed to do and what he shouldn't do. Guess who told Elijah that he was going to be going to heaven? It was God. So what do we learn from this? Just like Elijah, we are to be one with God. Think about that. Be one with God. See, are we like Elijah that we can hear that still, small voice? See, there is a still, small voice of God, and are we like Elijah that can hear it? See, God, Elijah was able to hear the voice of God. Can you hear the voice of God? We may not hear the audible voice of God, but do you hear that, that impression in your heart when God is telling you something? When God is telling you, don't do this, I want you to do that. See, there are so many promises in the Bible, but the one that I love, one of the ones that I love is this one from James chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Did you know that there's no limit on this? The more you draw near to God, the more he draws near to you. Imagine that. Imagine that we can draw so close to God that we could hear his voice, and that's up to you. There's no limit on this. And this is what's so amazing about God is that the further we draw closer to him, the, further, the more he draws closer to us. And this is what Elijah's showing us. And this is what's so amazing. As we keep reading on in verse 12, it says, And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Elisha sees his mentor, his father figure, his teacher. He's taken into the heavens, and so he's grieving. And how do we know that he's grieving? Is because he rips his clothes, he tears his clothes. But one thing that we see happening here is that he takes a hold of the cloak of Elijah. See, when the Elijah was taken up into heaven, the cloak must have fallen off. And so Elisha goes back to the Jordan and stands by the bank of the river holding his cloak. And let's see what happens. Verse 14 says, Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elisha? Elijah, and when, he had, and when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, 
and Elisha crossed over. Imagine this. With a cloak in his hand, Elisha strikes the Jordan River and says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? It would appear that he's doubting, right? That he's saying, where's the God? He's taken on, where is this God? He's not saying that. He's not doubting the Lord's ability or his presence. I don't see it this way. What Elijah is basically saying is that as he strikes the water with the cloak, I will show you where the Lord God of Elisha is. That's what he's doing. And as we look at this, right, I want to share this with you. What we can learn from Elisha is this. As I give you the third thing we can learn from Elisha is take the step of faith. Take steps of faith. See, when God says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. See, it was Elisha that took a step, step of faith Remember this, he took a step of faith by striking the Jordan. See, he was on the other side of the Jordan. He could not cross back to where the, his home was and on the other side of the Jordan unless he did what? Unless he struck the river with the cloak. I want you to know one thing. Unless we don't take steps of faith, you will miss out on the blessings and the miracles of God. You're going to miss out on Him. See, it's, you know, as we go through this, right, you know, I was just hearing Pastor Chuck, and he was talking about this very same thing, that unless we take, unless we don't take that first step of faith, God won't give you the second step. What do I mean by this? In other words, see, when Elisha took that step of faith, he was able to see the miracles of God. As he hit the water, it opened up. He took a step of faith. He was able to cross the river. He saw the miracles of God. Imagine this. If I didn't take the first step of faith to say, you know what? God has called me to plant a church in La Puente. Many of you wouldn't be here today. You'd be at another church. Some of you maybe not have gotten saved. Or maybe some of you would be backslidden. Who even knows? Only God knows, right? Imagine this. When the church was sold there on the corner, it was sold under us, right? Because we bid on it, but yet our bid wasn't submitted. So imagine this. If I never would have come here, think about that. If I never would have came to this school and to ask, about renting this facility, the next step, it wouldn't have been a reality, right? We wouldn't be here. The same thing with Primo Tapia, right? I mean, this happens time and time again. If I wouldn't have taken the first step to say, God has called us to plant a church in Primo Tapia, that church wouldn't be there. We need to take steps of faith. Imagine what we're missing out on by not taking steps of faith. Imagine God has plans for all of you and he wants to do so much through you and how many of us are missing out on things and miracles and blessings of God because we don't take steps of faith. How sad. Do we want to miss out on these things from God? Absolutely not. But we got to take steps of faith. 
We all need to take steps of faith. If you do not take steps of faith, you will not see the miracles of God in your life. And if they fail, then they fail. No one can ever say that you didn't try. You miscalculated. You thought it was from God, but at least God, you know what? At least you tried something. But the person that never tries anything will always miss out on everything that God has. That's why it's so important. And as we keep reading on, we've got to finish. It says, now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men and they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to him, did I not say to you, do not go? These prophets, remember these, these sons of prophets, right? They thought that God had taken Elijah. They knew that he took him, but they thought that he put him in a valley or in a mountain. They thought that he just transported him. So they go to Elisha and they say, Elisha. Give us permission to go search for him. And Elisha says, no. And they, and they kept persistent. They kept urging. They kept on him. And he finally says, you know what? Go ahead. I don't want to appear heartless. Go ahead. Go ahead and search for him. And of course, they don't find him because he was taken to heaven. And so they come to Elijah and they say, we didn't find him. And what does Elisha say? I told you so. And so... Now we go on and talk about the miracles from Elisha. Verse 19 says this. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant. As my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast it in the salter and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it. There shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Time passed. Elijah is recognized as a prophet of God. The leaders of the city, they're asking Elisha for help. They say the water's bad. It's killing the land. There's no fruit. There's no vegetables. And so Elisha says, give me a bowl with salt. And when they gave him a bowl with salt, he threw it into the source of water. And what does he say? He says, the Lord says, I have healed the water. No more death, no more barrenness. And guess what? The water was healed. What I love about this, is Elijah didn't say, in my power it's healed. What he said, the Lord healed. See, this is what we can learn from Elisha. The final thing that we learn from Elisha is that he showed us here his humility. He showed us here it's God's power, not his. See, what healed the land was not, or the water that was healed in the land was not by the power of Elijah. It was by the power of the Lord. As it tells us in Zechariah 4, 6, not by my power, nor by my, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, we have no power. Remember that. Don't ever let your head swell. Thinking when God does miracles through you that you are you got it going, that you're all it. We are nothing. We have no power. It's God's power working through us. 
That's what's so amazing. It's when things happen, it's not us that do it. It's God that works through us. And that's why Elisha was ready. He knew he was perfect as the prophet of God. And verse, as we finish in verse tw- uh, 23 to 25, it says, Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. You know, when we look at this, right, it appears that this is cruel, right? You would think, man, just because they called him bald head that, you know what, he didn't have to curse them. You know, when my kids and my daughters call me bald, my sons or Whenever they say, you're bald head, dad, I'm not cursing them. But I want to share this with you. See, baldness at this time was not very fashionable. Not like today, right? For those of us that share with me here, it's fashionable today. But it wasn't then. And also, it wasn't very desirable. Not like today. But I want to offer some clarity here. The Hebrew word here for the youths, it's not a youth, so you know. You know what it was? The Hebrew word here means young men. You have here young men that are mocking Elisha. And let me share this with you. They were telling Elisha, Go up like Elijah. We don't want you here. That's what they're telling him. Go up with Elijah. Go up with your baldness or whatever they said. Go up, you bald-headed. They wanted him to leave. They wanted him out. They wanted him to go with Elijah. In other words, they wanted nothing to do with God. And what you have here is you have, there were 42 of them. So what does that mean? That means that there was an uprising against the prophet of God. You have 42 young men coming at Elijah. Time to get up. Go up. Get out of here. Go with Elijah. And so what does Elijah do? He curses him. And you have two female bears that come out and they maul them. It doesn't say that he killed them. It says that they mauled them. The scars and the wounds would be a personal reminder to them of coming against God. Imagine that. And just as we discussed this past Sunday, God was making a statement. This was the beginning of Elisha and his ministry. And God wanted to install fear into the people that if you come against my prophet, you come against me. And when you come against me, There's consequences. Be fearful. And that's what we have here. And so as we conclude, you know, hopefully we have a greater understanding of these things. But most of all, as we were taught the various lessons from both Elijah and Elisha, may we be a people that walk by these, especially as we serve the Lord. May we be a people that truly do as we hear.
be doers of the word. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father.